Thank you for joining us for another Bible study as we go through the sayings of Jesus Christ. This time I would like to go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 as we look at just a few verses that are taken right in, given right in the Sermon on the Mount. As I was reflecting and preparing for it, I was thinking about how circumstances in life are so unsettling. One of those is people are dying. We know they die because of pandemics. We know that people can die even at this time because of all the riding at other people's hands. We also know that people die because of accidents, flukish, freakish situations. I was reading about some of those. There's the gentleman, as you get the name and the location of the time, fellow who was, a, who was there in, uh, in the region of Tanzania, that he, Tanzania, excuse me, that he was fishing. And uh, as he was very customary for what they would do is they would fish standing next to their boat, throwing the fish into the boat. He threw the fish into the boat, and one of them kept on jumping, kept on jumping, kept on jumping, and jumped high enough and towards him that he had his mouth open, surprise, and the fish literally landed in his mouth and that quickly squiggled down into his throat, cutting off his breathing. And before they could get the fish surgically removed, the man passed away. Flukish, freakish situation. Gal was shopping there in China, and as she was going up the escalator, the repairman had finished a while before, but hadn't secured the top covering at the top of the escalator. And as she and her daughter approached up to that region, all of a sudden that tray that people normally step on to get off, it came loose. It all of a sudden exposed all the gears and all of the mechanisms. The woman couldn't jump over that. She threw her child over to safety, but she herself was caught in the mechanism and died as a result of something very freakish. I was reading about another person in China that recently they were involved in doing cooking as a chef and in their particular restaurant one of those delicacies that they served was what was they called a cobra, a cobra soup. Well, he had the cobra and he cut off the head already and he was dicing it up. And when he was all done taking care of the bulk of the cobra and putting it into the soup, he reached over to take care of getting rid of the head and didn't think through that in many of those poisonous snakes, they can still snap. It's just an autonomic response. They can still snap and inject poison. And all of a sudden, the patrons in the restaurant heard the screaming from the kitchen. And within moments, the chef was dead because that snake head had bit him. Those are very unusual circumstances, but they illustrate to us a, a fact about death that it often comes unexpectedly, but more importantly, and the one that challenges us is death comes universally. Every single person, except if the Lord all of a sudden intervenes with the miracle of the rapture, every single person will die. It is appointed unto man once to die. And with that, Jesus Christ spoke about dying. And he spoke about what happens afterwards in Matthew chapter 7. He's speaking to an audience of Jewish individuals and he's challenging them. He's speaking to them and, and saying, you need to realize your life's going to end. And after your life ends here on this earth, you're going to stand before God. In fact, you're going to stand before me. And I'm going to be judging you. And so he challenges these individuals. And he tells them, and not only in Matthew 7, but in multiple other occasions, about events after death. So as to get them to prepare, he told in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus challenging the audience that they need to prepare in this life because as soon as they enter the next, they will either end up in heaven or they'll end up in hell. 
He did the same thing in the parable. Uh, we often call the parable of the rich fool who kept on adding and adding and focusing only upon his riches and expanding his riches, tearing down barns, building new barns. And in the midst of it, Jesus Christ says that God spoke to him and said, you fool, this very night your life will be de demanded of you. Then who will get all the things that you have prepared for yourself? The foolish man caught up with things of this world and not preparing for the next. Well, Jesus brings it all together in that Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the sermon, in some of his final words, he says you need to be prepared because Jesus warns them, I am going to have the final word as to your destiny. Therefore, what you need to do is you need to be ready and need to be prepared. Examine your salvation to make sure that you meet my standards since I'm going to be your judge. Let's phrase it this way. The challenge for you and me is each of us should examine our salvation to determine if it matches Jesus' standard whether or not we get into heaven. Because he has the final say. I find it interesting that Jesus gives this warning in Matthew 7 right after he has given warnings about false teachers. False teachers who could give false impressions about eternal life. False teachers who could give false assurances and false messages about preparing for eternal life. Jesus wraps up right after talking about those false teachers in verses 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Then he says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Wow, powerful words, a lesson for you and me to take seriously, examine whether we are truly in the faith and going to be able to pass the judgment of Jesus Christ whether or not we have access into heaven. Well, the reason that we want to challenge and look at our lives is two reasons given in this passage. The first reason is very simple. Many who think they're on the way to heaven are wrong. That's what Jesus says in this text. He talks about the idea that it isn't going to be rare, it's not going to be unusual. In fact, many will say to me in that day, they're going to say... Lord, Lord, have not we done? Many think that they are on their way to heaven, but they're wrong. And they're wrong because, as he points out, they're relying on things that can't get them into heaven. They're relying on things that can't possibly get them into heaven. The many will look at some of their, and present some of their deeds, their activities. They might include some really good things. And according to this text, they're going to be saying that we know you. We know you. We use your name. We call you Lord, Lord. In fact, that means that they're orthodox in that sense that they have some solid doctrines, some basic doctrines of Christianity. They know he is the Lord. They know Jesus is the one to whom they answer. They know that Jesus is the uh, judge almighty. They as well, they pray. 
looking to him, talking to him, asking him and praying to him. There are individuals who may very well in this life have prayed to Christ as well. There are individuals who are very reverent and respectful when they talk of Christ, when they talk about Jesus or to him. They say, Lord, Lord. So there are individuals who what we would call today really religious individuals. In fact, they're involved in helping others. They talk about prophesying. They talk about casting out devils. They talk about wonderful works, all done for the benefit of other individuals, I'm sure. They as well point out that they teach that idea of prophesying, that telling forth what is truth. They talk in this passage about how they employ the name of Jesus in their deeds that they were relying on him to some degree or his abilities, his powers, very similar to what happened in the book of Acts when individuals wanted to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And so here these individuals are folk that they know about Jesus. They're individuals that talk about Jesus. In fact, they even experience the supernatural. In this text, they talk about the fact that they have prophesied. That could be preaching or it could be foretelling the future. Maybe they have predicted the future. Maybe they have the ability to tell about some things that are down the road. They certainly have been able to do wonderful works, powerful works. Powerful works has the idea of lots of them and lots of supernatural activities that they couldn't produce within their own ability. These individuals, they're probably preachers included in that group. Those who have spoken, who have prophesied, who have done those types of abilities, they definitely oppose evil forces in the sense that they cast out the demons more than once is the the idea of the verbiage. And so here they are, individuals who are very active, individuals who are other-centered, individuals who have orthodox doctrine that they're relying upon but, but it isn't enough when Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Though they are thinking they're going to heaven because of all their good deeds, their good works, the things they are relying upon, they're wrong. They're dead wrong according to this passage. Now, let me point out that this text teaches us <coughs> that Jesus does not dispute that some of those things happen or will have happened in the future. He doesn't say, oh, well, they'll exaggerate and say we cast out demons, or they'll exaggerate and say we prophesied. He accepts that, that some people may do those things, but it's not enough. He's obviously telling us that not all good works are done by God's power only. Well, we know that's true. We know that some good works can be duplicated by Satan, who is a minister who comes in light to deceive individuals. We know that there are multiple occasions given in the Bible that even Satan and his hordes can do something that seems to be phenomenal and miraculous. It's a counterfeit. But they seem to do those things that are fascinating and dynamic. In fact, we go all the way back to the Old Testament. When Moses confronted the magicians of Pharaoh, they were able to duplicate not only the snakes, but some of the other initial miracles or the plagues. We read in the book of Acts how that the sons of Sceva, the seven sons, that they were exorcists, that they were casting out demons, that they were doing something that people were wowed by, that people thought they were doing something amazing. 
And then they go ahead and they try to cast out in the name of Jesus and the demon responds, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know you guys. And so even people who are outside the realm of truly born again, uh, family of God, they may experience supernatural. They may experience doing some personal feats that are described as from the spirit realm. We know that there can be, even in the lying wonders in these latter days, individuals who may even do something that looks miraculous. But Satan is a deceiver. And he is a confuser. And those individuals who stand before the Lord one day, they may have actually seen something phenomenal happen, but that won't get them into heaven. Just because they are a part of it. You know, I, I do have to stop and make this comment. Some of these people standing before Christ in Judgment Day do a whole lot more than some who are truly born again. They are doing some religious activity of sharing the word or prophesying and opposing evil and doing wonderful works where some people who claim to be born again do absolutely nothing. Even though that these people are doing better than others, even though they're doing some good deeds, the reality of the factor is those things are no guarantee that we get into heaven. Jesus makes it very clear in this text that those works alone don't get you into heaven. These people were making a mistake. They were relying on the wrong things to get them into heaven. And worse than that, they were rejecting that one thing. And I say thing uh, respectfully. They are rejecting the one thing that will get them into heaven. Jesus makes a comment that he says that you know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What's he mean by that? That may be confusing to some individuals who are listening right now. Some of you may say, well, wait a minute. Is Jesus teaching that there are some good works that we can do that are within the will of God that will get us into heaven? He talks about doing the will of God. Is he saying there are some good works beyond casting out demons and prophesying and powerful things. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not talking at all about you and me doing something to earn our way into heaven. If he were, he has just contradicted himself. He has just, just said one thing and then a, in a moment later said totally the opposite. And it doesn't fit the rest of scriptures. The scriptures makes it clear that not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. That we are saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It isn't what we do. It's what God does. But then what's he mean when he says doing the will of God? Well, that takes us back to the idea of what is the will of God? The will of God is very clearly seen in the teachings of Jesus as well as some other epistles and the propagation of the gospel in the book of Acts that the will of God is for people to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. I, I remind you what Jesus said. You must be born again. It's a command from God's own mouth. And he goes on to say not of the flesh, not of you know, the blood, but rather we need to be born of the Spirit. He talks about the work of God. We looked at this last week in a message from John chapter 6. This is the work of God, the will of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. We read elsewhere in the scriptures, God is not willing that any should perish, 
But he is willing, this is his desire, that all should come to repentance. We know that when all of a sudden that jailer came running in to the Apostle Paul and said, what do I do to be saved? It was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The will of God. Doing the will of God starts with this fact. You need to repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ as the only way to getting into heaven. That's the will of God. He which does the will of my Father which is in heaven is going to have access into heaven. And so Jesus is very clear here. He is saying that these people need to have a relationship with God Almighty. He even points out when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That whole idea of, uh, of knowing him is really important. He's, he's not saying, I didn't know about you individuals. He's not saying, well, you know, you're a complete stranger and I don't, I don't have any clue of anything about you. This is the first time a judgment that we met and since we've never met before, I, I don't know anything about you. I can't let you in. It's like a radio talk show host. Somebody called in this week and said to him, if I were to come to your house, would you let me in to, to sup? You're saying you're not prejudiced. But if I showed up and he answered wisely, he said, buddy, I don't know who you are. It has nothing to do with prejudice. I just don't know you. I didn't know, don't know if you're a safe character, if you're going to do harm. I don't know anything about you. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying in this text, that he doesn't know anything about the individual. We know from all other types of scriptures that Jesus Christ knows all about us. He knows more about us than we do. He knows the very hair that is on our head, and some of us make it a very easy job for him to keep up with that. He knows our physical makeup. He knows the very words that we speak. Multiple times we read, but in Psalms it says, there's not a word in my tongue, but Lord, you know it. And he's going to bring every word into judgment, in fact. There's a, he's keeping a record of it. He knows us so well. He knows our deeds, whether good or bad. God shall bring every work into judgment, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God knows all about you. He knows all about me. He knows even our hearts, our thoughts, our innermost desires and temptations. The Lord weighs the heart. The he who searches the heart. There are so many texts that make this very clear. God knows our inner being well. So when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, he's not saying, I don't have a clue. And I don't want to make a bad judgment because I just don't know. He is saying, very literally, this idea that we don't have a relationship. I don't know you. You really don't know me. In, in the same way that you and I can recognize the governor or the president, but we really don't know them. We recognize and we know who our favorite actor may be, but we really don't know them intimately. That's what he's talking about. A relationship here, which is in the will of God. The will of God that we repent and believe and ask Christ to come into our lives. And then we establish a relationship. You remember how many different Bible verses that talk about a family relationship. An intimate relationship that, that means we know Christ and he knows us. We, he talked about that. When he had John write these words, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of the will of God. There it is, the will of God, to be birthed into God's family. We read where Jesus says, if you've become close to me and invited me into your life and I'm in yours, whosoever will do the will of God, the same as my brother, sister, mother. We have a family relationship, uh, an intimate relationship. He talks about that in Romans where he said, because we have invited Christ into our life, the Spirit was given to us, and we're adopted into God's family when we're born again, we can cry, Abba, Father. Have that intimacy with him. says the same thing in Galatians, where he says God sent his son to redeem them that were under the law. Not to, not to say, go ahead and do your own deeds, work yourself so that you can, you can get your own forgiveness. No, he came to rescue us. To rescue us that were under the law, that we might then receive the adoption, that family relationship, and become sons of God, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. So very clearly, what Jesus is talking about when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, is there was no close relationship. That's what he talks about in John chapter 10, when at another occasion he's speaking to a Jewish crowd again. And he talks about he's the good shepherd. And he talks about the fact that, that the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. He's fully aware of them. He has a relationship with them. He makes sure that they understand not everybody is one of my sheep. But he goes on to make the comment. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me because they know me. And he says, those who know me and I know them, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So when we come to this text and when we say, okay, what is Jesus talking about? He is talking about following him, knowing him. And we have to ask ourselves the question, which shepherd are you following? Whose teachings are you following? Who are you relying upon? Yourself, your church, your preacher, your mother or grandmother or grandfather, father, your brother, your sister, your American citizenship. Which shepherd is meeting your spiritual needs. Who are you relying upon? Well, obviously, the people in this judgment day, when he says, depart from me, they were relying upon themselves, their traditions, their churchishness. And he says, that's not it. That's not it. And you've made a mistake. You're not getting into heaven. Even though you think you are, you're wrong. Then he makes another comment, why we need to be very careful in examining our salvation because many who think they are on their way to heaven, not only are they wrong, but worse than that, they're going to end up in hell. Well, he talks about that when he says, depart from me, workers of iniquity. What does it mean to depart from him? It has the idea to be cast away from him, put far away from him. Well, obviously what he's talking about is that judgment day when he separates the individuals, the lost from the saved. To be put apart from him means you're not going to be entering heaven with him. But rather, you're going to be cast into hell apart from where Christ lives. Apart from where the blessings of God would be bestowed for all eternity. And so he's making a very clear judgment day is coming. Many people are going to rely upon themselves. They're wrong. And they're going to end up in hell. That's why you and I ought to examine our salvation. Are we going to fit 
the salvation standard that Jesus Christ has established for when we are judged. Now, I remind you again that Jesus is saying this in the midst of a sermon, and as he is speaking, he is talking and giving alternatives about two this choices, one this, one that, in two di- uh, three different settings. He talks about two roads you can follow. He talks about two foundations, verse 24 and following, that you can build upon. He talks about people having this idea of where they're going to end up, heaven or hell. You make a choice. But he is making it clear in this text that many will choose wrong and end up in hell. Contrary to what we think, contrary to what we wish, many, many, many people are going to, the majority of people are not going to end up in heaven. He made that comment. He says where there, are, there is the, verse 13, there is the broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go therein. He makes that same comment. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to end up in heaven. They're going to end up in hell. And so the warning is clear. Check yourself. Make sure that you don't end up in hell because you are like these people. You're relying upon your continuous self-righteousness, self-will, self-determination, you workers of iniquity. These people who are doing good deeds, he calls workers of iniquity. What does he mean by that? Well, that idea of workers of iniquity literally means lawless ones. Those who are doing their own thing. Those who are doing what they think is right. They are doing what they, are, they think is the standard. They are insistent upon themselves being their own authority in spiritual things. Now, we know that sometimes that those individuals may respond and they may say such things as, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I, I think this, I think that I can do my whatever I want. I don't think that God is going to judge. Fine. You may think that, but you're wrong and you could end up in hell because of that. Some may say, well, I think by doing these good deeds, I, I'm going to be insistent upon it. In my opinion, good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. You're wrong. You'll end up in hell because of that. Don't be a lawless one that does what you think and what you want and interprets the word by your opinions or your desires. Submit yourself to what Jesus Christ says, what he warns about in this text. And he says there are many who are going to end up in hell because they are their own authority. They are following their own thinking. They are not submitting to the word of God. They even may be doing good things, They may be casting out demons, doing wonderful works, but if they're doing it based upon their being their own authority, and this is, they're doing it because this is what they think, they aren't going to end up in heaven. You won't end up in heaven unless you rely upon the one thing that can get you there, and that is doing the will of God by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ being your Savior, admitting that you're a sinner. Now, some of these people will end up be hearing those words, depart from me, you that work iniquity. Because they were so determined that no matter what Christ says, they're going to do what their church says. They're going to do what they think is right. Submit to Christ. Now, let me point out something else. Some of these people, this many who end up in hell, will do so despite their personal pleas. Lord, 
Lord. They're very adamant. They're very sincere. They're very, they are very you know, determined. They're persistent in saying, Lord, this isn't something we deserve. We're good enough. And they're going to hear the final words, depart from me. Despite their pleas, because they have been self-willed. They have been self-determining rather than submitting and admitting they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Something else that strikes me is they'll end up in hell even though they may be the majority. You know, oftentimes, as we as Americans, we are very inclined to think the majority rules. And therefore, the majority will determine and decide final fates and final conclusions. Jesus says, this is not going to be ruled by a majority. I am not running a democracy at Judgment Day. I am the total singular sovereign. I will determine. <laughs> I was reading about a race that truly happened, 1993. NCAA track and field event that was held for the Division II schools. And as they were doing this race, all of a sudden they had an experience that was rather unusual. What had happened is the race officials has laid out this course for the long-distance run of six-plus miles. And they had it going through some of the town that was hosting the event, their roads, their fields, their parks. And the race took off. There's 128 different individuals who are running the race. Well, as they were going through the race, all of a sudden one of the men in the middle of the pack, and we give you the name here, that his name is Mike Del Cavo, he is running and he realizes, wait a minute, all the people in front of me have not taken the proper turn. They're going down this way and we should have turned this way. He calls out to the runners in front. They wave him off. They keep going. He goes this way. The majority of the runners around him and behind him continued to follow the majority. He and only four others went the right route. Well, the majority went down a way that finished the race much sooner. It was, it was a shortcut, if you would. And so the men who ran the race, and there was only five of them, who ran the correct route, they came in in the last, after everybody else, they were in the last few numbers, 123, 24, 25. They were listed that way. And so when the race officials got together to determine the conclusion in the matter, they were highly criticized afterwards because here was the conclusion. They decided, since the majority made the mistake, that they would let majority rule. And they changed the actual course of the race and, and submitted it as the official race pattern after the race was done, based upon the majority of people. And so Del Cavo and those others four with him, they were the last five runners ranked in that race. That's not the way it's going to happen come eternity. Come eternity at Judgment Day, Jesus Christ is not going to be persuaded by majority opinions. He is not going to be persuaded by monies, by powers, by looks. He's not going to be persuaded by people who are persistent. He's not going to be persuaded by the good deeds that they have done. He is going to look and say, what was the will of God? Did they submit to repenting of their sin and believing and trusting in me only? Or were they self-determined to rely upon their own good works? My friend, examine your, what you're relying upon for your salvation. Does it fit the standard of Jesus Christ? Many people are wrong. Many will end up in hell because they think that they make the determination. 
They think their pleas and their persistence will be persuasive. They think that though they're in the, because they're in the majority, they are going to be allowed into heaven. That's just not true. They may hear the words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. This is going to happen. This will happen, Jesus says, despite the warnings that I'm giving. A warning that he gave in a sermon hundreds and hundreds of years ago. A warning that he portrayed what it was a reality in the future. He predicted, and yet many still don't listen to him. This could be your future reality. Unless you heed the warning of Jesus Christ. Unless you listen to what he says in this text as he is warning. And not get caught up with the false teachers. Not get caught up in going down the broad way. Not get caught on building your foundation where it's simple. But rather, believing on him. Trusting in him. Doing the will of God. Repenting and believing. Now I know that that is difficult. The straight and narrow way is a harder way to follow. We know that building on the foundation of the rock, it takes greater effort than sand. But at times, the greater effort in, in a sudden situation, in a, in a here situation, here and now, we may be more beneficial, beneficial down in the future and what's lying ahead, than what's lying ahead, in fact. I give, I give you a true story. That many of you who had watched any type of sports t- TV prior to the 2000, you know this, this site. You saw this almost every Saturday. You saw the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That's right. It was played for years, where all of a sudden the skiers coming down the huge the slope, and, and uh, the, he was going to take off, but he fell and fell, came off the side of the, uh, the ski slope, and he twirled and bumped around, and they called it the agony of defeat. And they played that every Saturday. And if you Google it, you find the video and the pictures. There's a little bit more detail about that and story that many people don't realize. In 70, when they were having the European Ski Flying Championships, the man that we've listed here, Vinker, Vinko Bajagja, whatever his name is, from Yugoslavia, he had entered. Now, his country didn't have a really good ski team. He was proficient enough to qualify. But when they had that time of coming down the huge slope and then taking off and trying to land and see who could land the most perfect landing, his first attempt on the first day of the competition was disastrous. He came down, the speed was more than he was used to, the, uh, the steepness was more than he was used to, lost his balance and wiped out. Then the next day came, and he was scheduled to jump again for his country. That morning, all of a sudden, the weather turned sour and they were getting some fresh snow with sleet. That meant the course was becoming faster and riskier. The officials talked about whether they should cancel and postpone that day and wait, but they decided to go ahead with it. Well, in the course of that day, Vinko was his turn up. There was already apprehension because people knew that he wasn't as proficient as many of the others. None on his team were. He took off with bravado, was going down the slope and realized this was much faster than what he even anticipated. He had gotten nervous yesterday. Now it is even worse. 
and he realized that he was veering off in such a way that he would crash towards the fence down below and he would miss the landing zone and he could have serious, serious complications. So he leaned down differently than he should have with the anticipation and the intent that he would slow down or even get his speed stopped. Lost his balance, tumbled over, went over, stopped himself by having his crash. A crash that caused him bumps and bruises. And yes, he was taken away by the ambulance. But within an hour, he called back and said he was okay. Was determined to have a minor concussion. But outside of that, his injuries were just the bumps and bruises. And he wanted to compete again when the weather cleared and it wasn't such a fast course. He made a choice as he was going down. A choice of doing something that could be much worse for him if he followed through or trying to stop. And it was going to be rough, but it would prevent a more serious injury. That's what Jesus is warning about. He's warning in this passage of you and I making a decision. As we're going through life and life is speeding up, sometimes we just need to fall down. We need to take a tumble. We need to call upon Christ, admit that we're not as good as what we think we are, lest we launch off into more serious problems and at judgment day we hear, depart from me, worker of iniquity, of self-desire, of self-determination. The challenge is examine our lives. Are we really feeling, fulfilling the standard that Jesus has set forth? Because if we neglect the salvation he has given us, how are we going to escape judgment? That's why the writer of scriptures, Paul, wrote, Behold, now is the accepted time. Change your course today. Repent of your sins today. Believe on Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till later. Because if you do, you might be part of the many who will say one day. Many of you have watched the film, The Blind Side. You have seen that story about Michael Orr and how he was, eventually, he was drafted and became an NFL pro football player with the Baltimore Ravens. But as a high school student, you remember the story that he was adopted into the Tui family who brought him in, this black boy, into their white family, and they raised him in his last few years, and they helped him to get established so that he would be able to get through school and get scholarships and end up with a professional career and become something rather than just growing up in that ghettoed area. Well, the whole story started according to the husband when he was speaking not too long ago at a fundraiser. It all started when that one November cold morning, they were driving along. The film says it was evening, but it was, he said it was actually morning. They're driving along, and it's bad weather, and they see this big boy walking along the side of the road. A t-shirt, shorts, in cold, drizzly November weather. And he says it was two words that his wife spoke that caused their life to change, the change in, in Orr's life. His wife turned and, and said to him, turn around. You know, there's simple fact of life, two words that could change your destiny for all eternity. Turn around. Repent of where you're headed. Turn to Jesus Christ. I beg you. I beg you today. Repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ, whereby you must be saved.
Father, I pray that you would help each and every hearer to examine their hearts thoroughly and according to your scripture and make the proper decision to call upon you as their one and only Savior and that you would then respond with giving them eternal life so that they don't have to hear, depart from me, but rather they would hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help all who hear this to heed the warnings of Jesus Christ in whose name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening.